The level of which you have to manage up should be a key indicator on whether or not it's the right position and the right boss for you. If you're spending more than 50% of your time managing up, it's probably not the right job. You're listening to Business Edge, the podcast for professionals looking to excel in the workforce. In each episode, our guests take a deep dive into their personal and professional experiences to give you an edge in the marketplace. This podcast is brought to you by the Commonwealth Leadership Alliance. Good morning. Welcome back to all of our listeners. This is the Business Edge podcast. Chrissy is here from Miami, 61st convention here. We're live. Just got out of Celebration of Brotherhood, and with us today we have Allison Jennings. Hi, Allison. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Can you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself professionally? So I am currently the Senior Director of Finance for The Good Kind Company, which is a health and beauty contract manufacturer. So we produce clean beauty products, particularly in the deodorant space, all natural um, for brands who don't have their own fill lines. Oh, okay, perfect. And you're in Austin, Texas, correct? And I am in Austin, Texas. Perfect. And what are some of the jobs you've had before this? So I started my career in government contracting, um, working for Lockheed Martin, Mm. um, so the big machine. Yeah. Um, And things worked as a finance manager there um, over several DOD contracts. Stayed in government contracting, working with some intelligence companies um, as a controller and made my way out of there into the startup world. Worked for a soap company as their controller. Uh, moved to Austin, um, worked for another startup, and ended up in consulting for several years, working with startups, high growth, um, really helping to shape and build their finance departments. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, most recently, prior to this new job, worked in the craft beer industry for a packaging distributor. And what was that like? Craft beer is taking off, microbreweries. What's that culture like? Um, the culture is what you would expect it to be for okay. craft brewers. Um, so it was learned very quickly that I didn't need to have a beer every day at lunch, even though the rest of the (laughs) office was. Um, It was also, I started there the week the pandemic hit and everything was shutting down. Yeah. So much like most of the world that started working from home, I went from working from home 70 to 80% of the time to in the office full time because we were essential employees um, and essential workers because everyone needed to get their beer out of tanks into cans or it would have been devastating and nothing was open. So it wasn't just breweries, but Fountain soda is 60% of Coca-Cola's business Uh and there are no stadiums. And so everything is going to a can and everyone is looking for a can. So that's why there was an aluminum shortage. That's why there was an aluminum shortage. Fascinating. I thought it was simply a supply chain issue, just not able to move it, but it was because there was a huge uptick in demand. Correct. That's fascinating, because when you said that you guys were essential employees, I was like, how is beer essential? I know a lot of people increased their drinking during the pandemic, but that makes total sense. Yeah, so it's the food and beverage, and it was also, it was beer was where they were built, but sparkling water and energy drinks and everything, everyone needed to go into a can, and it was at the same time, there's the push away from plastic bottles. Yeah. So there was something like a two billion can shortage. Wow. It's crazy. That's insane. I know my friends that love Coke Zero were dying because they couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> there was a lot of SOS Facebook posts. If you see this, buy it all and give it to me, which was part of the problem, right? Well, the other thing that was interesting in it is at the time, due to some changes um, that Mexico made, all of the soda companies had to um, rebrand and change their ingredient list, Oh, which had already been planned but any capacity that normally would have been access capacity was being used because there was a complete shift and move out that rolled out in Mexico 
like Q2 of 2020. That's fascinating. That's not even what we're here to talk about today, but I find that very interesting. So let's transition a little bit into what we are here to talk about today. So you've had a variety of different leaders and bosses, you being in a finance controller CFO position, a lot of times you've been reporting directly to the CEO. Startups are completely different. You've had, you know, good variety. And I know you and I have had conversations about good leadership and bad leadership, but a component of that is finding a boss that is a coach and a mentor, not just a boss. So talk to us a little bit about what the difference is to you, and then we'll go from there. I think for me, it's sort of three things. So Particularly in a startup world, um, your boss a lot of times can be your friend. So it's somebody that you know or that has hired you. Oh, because they brought you along. They've brought you along. That's true. Startups, a lot of times, yep. the beginning team is that person's personal friends or network. Yep. Right. So it's a friend. Um, and particularly in finance, a lot of times in the startup world, um, your boss is somebody who has zero finance experience. Right. That so makes sense, too. It's really hard to, when you're reporting directly to a CEO who doesn't know what a balance sheet looks like. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's one is your boss shouldn't be your friend. Um, and that is a key indicator first. I think the other thing that I've learned is identifying whether or not your boss really knows what your job is. Mm. Um, I think that's really important. Have they done your job? Do they have the experience in the background mm -hmm. um, to have done your job? And I think the third is in looking and identifying a good boss is where were they before? So where have they come from? Have they spent their whole career at one company and they've grown in that company? Is this a company that they started? Have they moved around a lot? Is this a, you know, when I worked in government contracting, we had a CEO um, for our division who was hired because he was the former UN ambassador. Mm. Um, but he was hired because he was the former UN ambassador, not necessarily because he had a lot of insight into government contracting from that side. So. For me, that would have been hard to report to him because I don't know that he would have understood what I did, yeah. but he wasn't hired for that skill set. That purpose. Right. Yeah, that's a good point, is that in your career, you'll find some people that are in positions for a specific reason, not necessarily related to the job sometimes. And I think it depends, too, like where in your career you are. Great point. So earlier in my career, I needed somebody who could help me navigate what are the politics in an office and also who knew that if I was doing journal entries or putting out financials or putting out reporting, that they knew what needed to be in that reporting because I was 22, 25. I didn't have that experience. Yeah, you had textbook experience. I had textbook experience. And, I, and again, at 25, I thought I knew everything. Yeah. Um, versus, you know, later in the career is how do I find somebody who I don't need my boss to tell me how to run payroll. Yep. But there are pieces of it that I do need to know, like, what happens when you take a company public or what happens during a major merger acquisition? Um, what is the interaction when you're talking to somebody and asking them for $25 million investment and what does that look like? So yep. it's shifting what you're looking for as you go, too, for those more hard skills. No, that's definitely a great point, too. Where you are in your career, you have different needs and you have different coaching and mentoring needs. You've been listening to Business Edge, brought to you by Alpha Kappa Psi Professional Business Fraternity and sponsored by Synergos Association Management Company. Now, let's get back to the conversation. Talk to us a little bit, I'm going to go back and ask a couple questions related to how to find those people, but talk a little bit about managing up. I think managing up is 
a skill people need to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's how you manage up. And it's understanding when it's appropriate to manage up and mm -hmm. when it's not. Mm -hmm. If I am reporting to a CFO that is very experienced, which I did at Soapbox, there is very little managing up that I needed to do mm -hmm. because Janet knew my job inside and out. She had done it. Mm -hmm. And she'd also identified, here are the things that I need from you and here are the things that I can help you with. And it was a different sort of managing up. It was managing up in a, here are my expectations and here's where I want to grow and learn. Mm -hmm. And making sure that I have the appropriate face time with her and things of that nature. In other positions, um, managing up was very different. Um, and it was a, this is how I am the subject matter expert. Yeah. And this is why I'm the subject matter expert. And it's also sticking to that. Um, I've been in meetings where I had co-founder um, just completely, you know, derail a meeting and stuff. And I, I walked out of the meeting and was like, I'm not, you can't speak to me like that. Yeah. You owe me apology. I will not, I'm not going to sit through a meeting and have you, you know, do all of this in front of other people and, and read the room in a way that you're not recognizing my experience and my expertise. Mm -hmm. So I think it's figuring that out and reading the room, reading who it is, and also at the level of which you have to manage up should be a key indicator on whether or not it's the right position mm -hmm. and the right boss for you. Yeah. If you're spending more than 50% of your time managing up, it's probably not the right job. Correct. That's a great point. Yep. There's times where, you know, especially in fundraising, for example, there was times I needed something specific from the CEO. So that was usually how I managed up is like, you're going to be in this meeting with this donor. Here's some things I need you to know about them. And here's some things I need you to bring back to the organization so we can, you know, what have you. And you're exactly right. Finding that right time to manage up and being, you know, that asset to the organization in that way. So let me talk to you a little bit about how you spot those people out in the interview process. The reason why I say that is one of my positions when I was going through the interview process, to equate it to a feeling like it's that, oh my God, love at first sight. Like this person's gonna be an amazing fit for me. They're talking all the right things about leadership that I like. They use a tool to really kind of define what people's leadership style is. So at least everybody on the team's talking the same language. Like they seem very much servant leadership oriented. They were just like talking all the things. I was like, oh my goodness, finally in my career, I'm getting that person that's gonna be an incredible partner, an incredible boss and a mentor and a coach. Turned out to be the complete 100% opposite. Use these leadership assessments to punish people, to demean people. It was just a horrible train wreck of an experience. What are some tips that you have for listeners in the interview process, how people can kind of see through the smoke and mirrors and get to the heart of who's going to be a good mentor and boss? Um, I think there's a couple. Things. I think the first is research them on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. If I have someone coming in for an interview for me, unless it's a very entry level position, if I don't see that they've looked me up on LinkedIn, it's a red flag. You are interviewing the company as much as they are interviewing you. Yep. Um, so looking and seeing where have they been, how long have they been there, and even some understanding of, are they, is it an upward trajectory? What have they done? Are there things that you see that they've done? And the type of companies they've worked for and the level. So my current boss was the former global president for digital and e-com for Ralph Lauren. You don't get into that role mm -hmm. if you don't know what you're doing. Right. Um, and so looking at his resume, I was like, this is somebody that I think I want to work for based on the experience. I think I can learn something from him. 
Um, the second is the tone of the conversation. How much are they talking to you versus you talking to them? Um, and asking about like, what is your leadership style? Mm -hmm. um, what are your clear expectations of how we are going to communicate once, you know, boots on the ground? I think the other thing is, who else are you interviewing with? It's hard if it's an entry level position because a lot of times you're not talking to as many people. Right. Um, right. I interviewed with a lot of people at the company. Mm -hmm. um, and looking at who has come to the company when and who else are you working with. So why did those people come? So one of the indicators for me is um, I have a colleague who is a, um, a senior vice president who came from QVC. People don't leave QVC after 15 years for just any job. Um, this was a big risk for her and she moved because of our boss. Okay. And that was a key indicator for me when I talked to her. I said, why did you leave QVC? And she was very honest about that. Um, and I think you can also tell who else is interviewing and look who has come to that company. The other thing, depending on the level, is look on LinkedIn and see who they're connected to. Where do they work? There's nothing saying that if you're interviewing at Coca-Cola that you can't contact somebody who works there. Mm -hmm. And we have this great network of brothers. Mm -hmm. Ping somebody. You're not asking them for a job. Yeah. You're saying, I'm interviewing at your company. Do you have any insights? This is who I'm interviewing with. Mm -hmm. Do you know them? You know, what would you say about them? And a lot of times people will answer and tell you and give you sort of the good, the bad, the ugly on that. Or if they don't know them, they'll find somebody else that does. Right. And connect you there and say, you know, this is, you know, I think also have an honest conversation of how you want to be managed and what you need. Mm -hmm. um, because you can't be a good manager or have a good manager if you don't. Yes, that's a great point. There are some managers that approach it cookie cutter, like this is my management style, so I'm gonna manage everybody this way, and that doesn't work for everybody. Um, we were talking to a guest earlier that was talking about, I have to get to know my employees because somebody that likes to be recognized in public and can boost their performance, if I do that for somebody else that doesn't like it, it actually demotivates them. So you really have to know that what works for one person doesn't work for another. So that's a great point. And learning that and that self-awareness of how do I need to be managed? What do I need in terms of feedback or growth opportunities or things of that sort? I think also everyone gets asked in an interview process, where do you see yourself in three to five years? Yep. What are your long-term goals? You should go in and know what that answer is and be able to flip it around and say, when I was interviewing for this job, um, I said, this is my goal. My goal is to sit on corporate boards. This is where I want to be. Um, what will it take to get there? And we had that open conversation um, and that recognition of this is what it's going to be. Because a good boss doesn't want you to stay in your role. Yes, absolutely. Like if someone says, well, I'm hiring you as a staff accountant and I want you to stay as a staff yep. accountant, that means they don't want to grow and develop you. Yep. Because I would rather have a great employee that grows out of their position and leaves Mm -hmm. than somebody who doesn't want to grow and doesn't want to develop. Very good point. Very good point. So here on the Business Edge, we have a signature question. Tell us about a time when your values were challenged. What happened and how did you handle it? Um, so when I first moved to Austin, I worked for a lingerie company. Mm -hmm. um, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is not as... Uh, that's what you moved to Austin that's for, That's what correct? I moved to Austin for. It is not as sexy as it seems. <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody thought it was real cool. Um, and, you know, found some things financially that didn't add up for me. The ways they were recognizing some revenue and how they were running the business. And um, there were a lot of things that had happened behind the scenes that I didn't know about during the interview process that they basically kept hidden from me. Oh, interesting. Um, and 
I was told by their vice president that I needed to do something and I said I won't do it. I, I just won't. Um, and you know, luckily for me, I've got you know some great mentors like Eileen mm-hmm. and and some people. And I called them and said, "This is what they want me to do." And they said, "You can't do that." Like the IRS says no. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I stuck to my guns and said I, I won't do it. I went and I you know I lost my job. I mean that's what it was. They severanced me out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't regret it at all. Yeah. Because. Quite frankly, I don't look in orange or stripes. So, um, and, you know, I learned a lot from it. I also learned from a, a manager in a company role. I walked in and within, you know, the first 48 hours on the job, I learned here are all of the things that I didn't know. And when I left the job, learned things like the major CPA firm wouldn't issue financials for them. Yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, this is not where I need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and a paycheck's not that important. No. Your integrity is not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just not that important. Mm-hmm. So I think that was one of the things that I learned that it doesn't matter what the title is or how cool the job is or what it is that putting yourself at that sort of risk is not worth. It's just not worth it. Absolutely. Good for you. Absolutely. You know, I, I've lost my job twice in my life and both times I think the the messaging of what I got and what was really going on underneath were different I just know in my heart and both times I followed my personal values and integrity and did not that did not align with where the leadership was or the leader was and ultimately I know it cost me my job but like you said it's just not worth it and I I can look back and say I can learn lots of things about that experience and I did but at the end of the day, I don't regret it because I stood up for values that the organization said they had, you know, and I made sure those were upheld, at least in my decision. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you can go to sleep at night. Absolutely. You can go to sleep at night. You can look yourself in the mirror and you're right. You'll find another job. We spoke to somebody earlier that said, you know, in the interview I went into, I gave them very upfront, look, here's a mistake I made. Here's where we're fixing it. And ultimately, that's why they got the job. So I think the right fit company and boss-wise would actually look at that more admirable right. than having this perfect track record. Right. So, well, thank you, Allison, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for your insight. We look forward to seeing where you go. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Business Edge. If you have questions, comments, or topic suggestions for us, email businessedge at akside.org.